Father in heaven, I thank you so much for the privilege of being here today. You know us, you made us, you know where we've gotten our wires crossed, Lord. And there's nothing that I could say of my own that would make any difference. But you have said that your word is powerful, sharper than a double-edged sword. And I pray that you will unsheath that sword, even if it may be painful to us. I pray that you will cut dividing between the joint and the marrows of thoughts and intents of the heart. I thank you for that promise that Jesus gave. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Father, that's what we want. We want to be free indeed. And so I pray that you will take this simple, humble presentation and, and just send it home to our hearts. May we walk out of here differently than we came in. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start with a verse. How many of you are familiar with this verse? How many of you have memorized this verse? But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was all mixed up. Right? Is that what it says? How many of you have read it that way? You don't have to show your hands. But how many of you have read it that way? I am what I am by the grace of God, and His grace toward me was not in vain. Today we're going to look at the profound impact a person's attitude toward himself or herself has on their attitude toward God and life in general. Too many of us see life, our life, as a mistake rather than as an expression of God's creative love, right? I know there have been times in my life where I wasn't so sure whether my life was an expression of God's creative love or whether it was just because two people, my mom and dad, came together and produced me. I, uh, I like to joke about it. My, my parents, and some of you probably know my parents, so I've got to watch what I say, Brenton Bullock, Joyce Bullock, they were up at Campus Abel for years. Yep, I, I claimed them. But uh, I started out rough in life. My parents were going to have the perfect American family, one boy, one girl. And my brother was born first. So I was Cynthia Joyce. Some of you may know my sister, too. And the doctor told my mom, you know, this was back... 1960 when I was born, and they said, uh, you know, they didn't have all the ultrasounds and all the interest in finding out before you're born what gender you are. But my mom knew I was Cynthia Joyce. And the doc says, you need to consider a boy's name. Nope, it's going to be Cynthia Joyce. And so it was 9 o'clock, Sabbath morning. I was, I was coming out in time for Sabbath school. My aunt was there. My mom was there, of course, and my grandma was there, and I came out with the wrong plumbing, and they all cried. And that was my beginning in life. 
I've told my mom that it's affected me all my life, you know. We, um, Cynthia Joyce came along two years later. My dad was the administrator of a hospital there in Portland, Tennessee, and had a 17-year-old gal come in and um, pregnant, said, do you know anyone who wants a baby? And it's supposed to be a baby girl. And my dad said, sure, I do. And that was before social services and welfare and all the rest. And so they signed the papers, and Cynthia Joyce was born, and he called my mom up and says, how are you feeling? He said, well, fine, why? Well, you just had a baby girl, and he brought her home from the hospital. He did that for about six other gals that came in wanting to adopt their babies, and then the state came in and said, hey, wait a minute, you guys can't do this. So anyway, you know, sometimes we wonder, though. I mean, that hasn't affected my life at all. I like to tell the story, but... Um, some of us, that, that story could come pretty close to home. This verse is profound, and I hope you never forget it. I am what I am by the grace of God, and God's grace to me is not in vain. You know, for many, the greatest hindrance to a loving trusting relationship with God is an underlying resentment for the way He has made us. Anyone identify with that? We don't believe He's made us right. We don't believe He's treated us right in the past. And so we're reluctant to trust Him fully with our present and our future. I just want to suggest to you, friends, that it's impossible. What did I say? What word? It's impossible to truly love and trust somebody we have resentment toward. Have you noticed that? And that includes God. For many of us, it begins with not liking the way that God made us. Now, the Bible is very clear that we are not the product of chance. Do you believe that? We're not an accident. There are no accidents. And let me just give you some scriptures to back this up. By the way, I have handouts with everything I've almost everything I'm saying today, so that you can take them home, all the texts out there, ready to go, all right? Psalms 119, verse 73. What does it say? Whose hands are we talking about? Your hands, God, have made me and fashioned me. Let that sink in. Is that true or not? It's in the Bible, and if it's in the Bible, we can trust it, right? Number two, Isaiah 64, verse 8. But now, O Lord, you are our... You know, some of us have a hard time with our dads. They go into prisons, take cards for prisoners who want to send cards to their mothers for Mother Day. And it's a great success. They went into those same prisons with cards for dads for Father's Day, and guess what happened? Not so much. Who's your daddy? according to Isaiah. God is. We are the clay, you are our potter. All we are the works, 
are the work of your hands. That's an interesting verse, isn't it? Let's try another one. I like the way the NIV puts this one. You, you get the idea in the King James as well, or New King James. For you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Who's it talking about? God, right? I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And I bet if I were to ask the question, how many of you know that all his works are wonderful, full well, not every hand would go up in this room? Some of us don't think we were so wonderfully made, right? My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in a secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. And this is a tough one. All the days, how many? How many does all include? Every day that you have lived? Is that what's included here? All the days ordained for me were written in your book. When? Before one of them came to be. Now, some of us have a problem with that. How many of you would like to just erase a few days out of that book? And for us to realize that those days were written out before one of them came to be, who decided what went into those days? Some of them that you want to erase. Who decided that? That's a troubling concept, isn't it? But it's one that we need to wrestle with because you shall know the truth and the truth will do what? Set you free. Now this scripture here tells us several things. This last one. Number one, yes. Foreknowledge and predestination are two different things. When I had kids, or my wife had them, I knew I was in for trouble. First one was a girl, second one was a girl, the third one was a girl. That's where I got all my gray hair. <laughs> I knew I was in trouble. I knew I would have challenges. I knew there would be a learning curve. But that didn't mean I predestined everything, right? These scriptures tell us we are no accident. God is the one who determined we should be conceived. He is the one who knit us together in our mother's womb. Number two, it tells us that He has designed our lives according to a glorious plan that He has for us, right? Some of us may not have found that plan yet, but it's there. He designed us according to a plan. Number three... God chose ten arbitrary, unchangeable features for each one of us before we were ever born. And some of these are hard for us to accept. Some of them we've had resentment over for years. Ten unchangeable features. Now, I bet if we took the time, you could come up with the ten of them. Things that you had no control, but I'll just help you out. How many of you chose your parents? How many wish you could have? Don't, 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 don't. Siblings. How many of you chose your siblings? 
You could have done it without one or two of them, right? How about your physical features? Who, who chose those for you? How tall you are, short, color of your hair, all of that. How about your mental abilities? That's God chosen. How about your gender? That's five. Here's the other five. Birth order. How many firstborns do we have? How many wish you weren't firstborn? How many middle kids? How about the youngest? Did you ever wish you could have changed your birth order? How about your nationality? Did you choose that? What about your race? We don't choose that. How about your time in history? How many of you ever wished you could have lived at a different time in history? Ah, there you go. Which time? I, I wanted to make that trek across the West in the covered wagon, yeah, and all of that, you know? I mean, but we didn't choose our time in history. How about our aging and the time of death? You know, we don't always get to choose. We can hasten that along, but we really don't choose that. All of those things ordained by God, written in His book, before one of them came to be. How we view ourselves, these ten unchangeables, comes as a result of the judgments we make about ourselves. And this internal evaluation is what many refer to as self-image. Friends, self-image is not an emotion or a feeling. Self-image is a part of our cognitive process, our thinking process. How we think about ourselves may influence how I feel about myself, but self-image does not come from feeling, it comes from thought. Now, we may feel good about our self-evaluation, or we may feel bad about our self-evaluation, but the feelings are the result of our thoughts. So who controls our feelings? We do. We do. You see, as we begin to evaluate how God has put us together, those ten unchangeables, we come to a fork in the road. One fork leads to bitterness and resentment. The other leads to acceptance and joy. One way we can go is compare our outward features and abilities with others around us. What does that lead to? That leads to some major bitterness or resentment, right? Or, if you're on the other side, it can lead you to pride and arrogance, depending on how you were put together. God tells us it's not wise for us to compare ourselves among ourselves. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, But they, measuring themselves by themselves or among themselves, are not what? If you're not wise, what are you? I won't ask how many foolish folks I have in my class, but I can tell you you've got a foolish teacher in your class <laughs> because I've done that. But that's not wise. That's God saying that. The other path 
We can compare our character with the character of Jesus and seek to imitate Him. Now, this path leads to spiritual growth and acceptance. I like what 2 Corinthians 10 verse 18 says, For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Right? Those are the two paths we have. Can anyone offer a third path? Not really. We're either looking horizontally or we're looking vertically, right? Comparing ourselves among ourselves or comparing ourselves with our example, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's explore these two paths for a moment. Comparing ourselves with others. From the time we were young, we began to notice that we weren't all created equal, right? And if you ever thought you were, when you went to first grade or kindergarten, if you got there, you found out. Your ears stick out. Where'd you get that kinky hair? Why are you so short? Why are you so tall? You've got big feet. Where'd you get those skis? Your dad's ugly. Your dad's not nice. Are you sure that was your mother? That... I mean, all kinds of comments that are hurtful, right? And we, we experience that very early, that comparing ourselves with others, even if we didn't do it, others would do it for us. As we compare ourselves with others, we begin to wish that we had what they had. And at that point, we become dissatisfied with how God made us, and thus dissatisfied with God. Satan knows the Scriptures better than all of us combined, and he is well aware of the potential that God has placed within each one of us. He knows, as Paul said in Corinthians, that we are but what? Earthen vessels, jars of clay. Now, I know that doesn't sound very glamorous or handsome or pretty or anything else, but let's face it, he knows we're earthen vessels and we were made to reflect the glory of God. As Paul said it in Corinthians, we have this treasure in earthen vessels, and guess what? The treasure ain't us. It's God. And so Satan works hard to totally destroy or at least diminish the potential that God sought through this earthen vessel as much as possible. One of Satan's methods is to get us to question God's love and wisdom and giving us those ten unchangeable features. I don't meet too many who are satisfied with all ten. In fact, it's kind of rare to find people who are satisfied with five of the ten. So as a result, many Christians struggle with dedicating their life to God. Why? They're afraid of what God will do to them if they make a complete surrender to Him. And it starts like this. If what I see in that mirror is a reflection of God's love and mercy for me, 
I'm not about to trust him. If he messed me up so bad the first time without my permission, what might he do to me if I give him permission? Right? And so we wrestle with these things. Here's what we need to understand, friends. To reject the design is to what? To reject the designer. Right there is the key that will unlock your prison house. It comes back to can I trust the designer that he knew what he was doing for in my life when he knit me together in my mother's womb. The second path is measuring our character with Christ's. And this is the only path that brings fulfillment, joy, acceptance, because it gives us a proper perspective on why God made us the way He did, why He allowed certain things, even terrible things, to happen in our life. Remember, everything God does is for our... I heard one voice. For our good, right? And we wrestle with that for our good that we might share in what? His holiness. His holiness. If we choose to travel this path, there are four principles that we need to understand. Number one, there is no such thing as a universal ideal in outward abilities or features. Let's just put that to rest right now. I don't care about the Miss America pageants and the Miss Universe pageants. There is no ideal in outward abilities or features. You agree with that? But there is a universal ideal in inward character. Where do I find that? Where? I find it in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? The ideal in inward character. God is working in all things to reproduce in us Anyone finish that quote? Ellen White wrote it. When the blank is perfectly reproduced in his people, Christ will come. What's the blank? When his character is perfectly reproduced. And you know what? It may take a while if I'm too busy making sure that my hair doesn't grow gray prematurely and I don't get too many sags and wrinkles and i got to keep up with the latest. No. It's the inward character. He wants to reproduce in us that character. Do you believe that? You're going to be challenged on that this week. Do you really believe that? That's what God wants to do? Listen, friends, the time for us to have perfect bodies and minds is yet to come. 
It's not now. Right now we live in a world filled with disease, with death, with suffering and, and sin. And, and God is not concerned about how we look physically. He just wants to get that character right so that the time for the perfect bodies, no aging, we can all be a part of that. Now listen carefully. Some of you may not like this. But God wants us to be like Jesus so much that if necessary, He will sacrifice outward beauty or ability in order to develop inward character. Just chew on that one a little bit. And we could go through many biblical examples of that, couldn't we? So I'm not telling you anything new, but God will sometimes sacrifice outward beauty, or ability to develop inward character. The second thing we need to learn, those four principles, is that our happiness is not dependent on our outward looks, abilities, or circumstances. Our happiness comes from what? Being in harmony with God. That's right. You know, I'm only going to give you one example of this. Jesus had no form of comeliness. What does that mean? He wasn't a handsome dude, was he? <laughs> no form of comeliness. You know what Isaiah the prophet compared him to? A dry root out of, or a root out of dry ground. Isn't that an exciting thing? Oh, you're so cute, you look just like a root out of dry ground. I mean, come on. He had no form or comeliness, and when we see Him, there is no beauty that we should desire Him. Nothing in His appearance that we should desire Him. He was despised, rejected by men. A man of what? Sorrows acquainted with what? And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. Have you ever thought through the picture of that? Oh. Hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised. We did not esteem him. And yet, what kind of life, what kind of self-worth did he have? How many times did you hear the disciples saying, or did the disciples hear him saying, Woe is me. Nobody loves me. I'm going to go eat some worms. You know? He was filled with joy, filled with hope, filled with love and compassion, even though he was knit together like that. Wherever he went, People were drawn to him. How could that be with that background? Drawn by the beauty of his character. That's the beauty that's important. You know, if you read the letter Paul wrote to the Philippian church while he was sitting in that prison cell in Rome, it, that, that book of Philippians is just a book filled with joy and with, with peace and comfort and hope. And here's what he says. I also count all things loss. Now let's just stop right there. How much is all things? 
how, well, let me put it this way. You don't have to answer unless you want to. What is the one or two things in your life that you are not ready to count as loss for the sake of becoming like Jesus? What's the few things? Ladies, I don't want my hair to get gray. Guys, don't want to lose the muscle for the flab. What is it? What is it that we are not willing to count as... You know, I heard children. They can, they can lead us astray because we want so badly for them to be successful as the world counts success that we're running every which direction. No time for the Lord Jesus Christ. No time to, to demonstrate in our own lives the beauty of character that would attract them. That's a big one. I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ. Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, that I may know Him. Now this is, I'm, I'm going to be honest, this is the part where I, I start kind of diverging away from Paul. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering. How many of you are really excited about sharing in the fellowship of Christ's suffering? How many of you wake up every day saying, Lord, how can I share in the fellowship of your sufferings today? That's a hard one, isn't it? That I may share in the fellowship of his sufferings and being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. You know, when I read Paul, I think he's been in prison a little too long. It's starting to affect his thinking when he wrote that. I mean, I want to know Christ, right? I want to be found in Him, but I'm not sure I want to know Him that closely. Fellowship of sharing in His suffering. The third principle is a difference in our appearance, abilities, and parentage, those ten unchangeables, are God's special frames to highlight and amplify the unique message of His grace that He wants to develop within us. Let me just give you a little mental exercise, all right? I want you to just think in your mind of the most beautiful painting that you have ever seen, okay? Just visualize it. You got it in your mind? Could you tell me the details of that painting? All right, now forget the painting and I want you to describe the frame to me. How many of you find the frame popping into mind? The details. Why not? Because a good artist paints the picture to deliver a specific message, and he chooses the frame to highlight the message of the picture. 
How many of you have seen a beautiful picture in a frame that you can't hardly remember the picture because the frame just didn't fit it? Are you following the connection? Those ten unchangeable features are the frame that God gave us to highlight the message of our life that He wants to paint in our lives. Now, we get the frame before we get the message, right? The painting. And we look at this frame and we say, oh, this is ugly. God, why did you have to make my life like this? And we'll jump off God's easel because we think He's shafted us. The good thing about it, there may be some of you who've jumped off that easel. And there may be some pretty deep and dark scars as a result. But we have a master artist, don't we? And he can take those black slashes that have come through your picture and he can make something beautiful out of them. If you're beating yourself up today because of your foolishness and jumping off that frame, I want you to stop it. God knew all that was coming. All the days ordained were written in his book before one of them came to be. And he knows how to turn our failures into something beautiful. You know that old song, don't hear it very much. If there ever were dreams that were lofty and noble, they were my dreams at the start. And my hopes for life's best were the hopes that I harbored down deep in my heart. But my dreams turned to ashes, my castles all crumbled, my fortunes turned to loss. So I wrapped them up in the rags of my life and laid them at the cross. And you know the chorus, right? Something beautiful, something good. All my confusion he understood. All I had to offer was brokenness and strife, but he made something beautiful of my life. Those differences, friends, Or so God could have a unique picture of His love and His grace in your life. The Bible tells us that God chose the what things? The foolish things of the world to put to shame what? How many of us were at the bottom of the class in school? <laughs> I like this verse. He chose the foolish things to shame the wise. The weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. The base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. I like that verse. Because that verse means I'm included. I can identify with a few of those things. Think about it. What are the stories that move us most powerfully? 
Are they not the stories of individuals who've experienced great disadvantages, gone through tragic circumstances, and yet overcome at incredible odds? Aren't those the stories that move us to tears more than any other, that inspire us? Aren't they the ones that we talk about and share? Oh yeah, as long as it's yours, not mine. Right? Such people are an inspiration to all they come in contact with because of their frame or the message of their life. Because of the message, right? And that's what God wants to do with each of us. How often we are like the disciples. They saw a man who was born blind, remember? John chapter 9. And as they walked by, not caring about the feelings of the guy, says, Lord, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You remember that story? How many of you remember Jesus' answer? What did he say? Neither this man nor his parents. What's the next part? But this happened that the glory of God might be displayed in his life. Think about the implications of that. How old was the man? We're told. Forty years old. How long had he suffered blindness? Forty years for what purpose? That the glory of God could be displayed in his life? How many want to sign up to be blind for forty years so God would have a moment of glory? That's incredible, isn't it? Forty years so the glory of God could be displayed in his life. What are we whining about? These things happened that the glory of God, and yet we like to be like those disciples and wonder what happened. We like to talk about people, don't we? We like to put them down. They made the mistakes and all the rest. Instead of realizing that God works in all things for the good of those who love Him. All things. The fourth principle, God's not finished writing his unique story of love and grace in your life. Somebody should have shouted hallelujah or amen or something on that one. I know it's hot and stuffy, but come on. If we will put ourselves back on God, in God's hands and trust that he knows what he's doing, then he will use the very things we thought were so unfair and undeserved to make a glorious story of His power and grace, a story that will catch the attention of others and draw them to a personal encounter with God. What verse did we start out with? But I am what I am by the grace of God, and His grace to me was not in vain. Each one of you have been given a special frame, those ten unchangeables. Stop fighting them, embrace them, and let God 
do what he wants to do in your life with that frame. The only way that he could do that is if he kept his eyes where? On the Lord's, not comparing himself with others. You may ask, how can I change my feelings of inferiority? And that's a good question, but remember, people do not feel inferior. People do not feel inferior. Rather, they judge themselves to be inferior, and they feel awful about their self-evaluation. Right? Self-image is not a feeling, it's what? Cognitive process. The, inferior, or the inferiority judgments that they make are at the root of all self-image problems. As Christians, our objective should not be to help ourselves have a positive self-image. If you've been trying to do that, stop. But rather that we have an accurate image based on biblically correct values. You see the difference between those two? Our self-evaluation falls into one of three or more categories, and there is something we can do about each one. Now, I'm getting very specific here, and again, be on the handouts, you can... Uh, have it there, but write them down. It'll help you. Specific things that you can do to help this. Number one is inaccurate perceptions. Well, if I have inaccurate perceptions, what can I do about them? Change my perception. That's right. The second one is accurate perceptions that are not sinful. And what can I do about that? Change my values. The third one is accurate perceptions that are sinful. What do I need to do with that one? Change my behavior. That's right. Now, the first category has to do with the accuracy of our perceptions. Because of sin, we're hindered from interpreting life from God's perspective. His ways are not always our ways. His thoughts are not always our thoughts, though they should be. And this is why we are so dependent on the biblical perspective of truth. Not general society's perspective, but the biblical perspective. Thy word is what, Jesus said? It's true. Also, our sinful hearts are capable of seriously distorting our judgments. And a person whose inferiority judgments are the result of inaccurate self-perceptions can learn to change those perceptions with the assistance of Scripture and a good, honest friend. The second kind of inferiority judgments has to do with our value systems. They've not been programmed biblically. Let me give you an example. Sometimes we judge ourselves to be inadequate in a particular area in which the Bible does not call for adequacy, right? I don't know how to fly an airplane. 
I don't know how to build a website. In fact, the reason you're getting such basic PowerPoints is I don't know much about computers and how to do anything fancier than that. I'm not worth much because I can't keep up with the times. If I admitted it to you, I'd have to say I don't, I'm, I'm not even smart enough to operate a smartphone. <clears throat> I swore I would never have a cell phone in my life because I see how it is the master of so many people. Well, I was moving from one district in the conference to the next, and my uh, realtor said, I have to be able to get in touch with you when I need you. So I went to Walmart, and I bought the cheapest little track phone. I still have that cheap little track phone. It stays in my car, off, except when I want to turn it on and make a call. So if you ever try to call me, you call my home phone and leave a message. I'll get back to you, but I hate phone. I, 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 I wouldn't even know. I have to, you know, my girls hand me a phone and say, here, give them a call. I say, I don't know how to work this. I'm inadequate, right? You can be honest, right? Why? The Bible doesn't tell me I have to be adequate with smartphones, Right? So we need to evaluate these things in light of biblical truth. Maybe I didn't do well in school. Does that make me an inadequate person? No, God doesn't say I have to be a straight-A student. Aren't you glad for that? Yeah. Now, if I judge myself to be an inferior person because I don't know how to do those things, then something is wrong with what? my value system. I'm setting a standard of adequacy that is different or even higher than what God sets. Be careful about going down that path. A person whose inferiority judgments are the result of accurate perceptions about themselves in areas that are not sinful to be inferior in, they need to change their value system to match God's value system. The third characteristic, accurate perceptions that are sinful, well, we need to, we need to uh, make some changes in behavior there, right? Let me tell you something. Listen carefully. It doesn't matter how often you preach the gospel to yourself. It doesn't matter how often you tell yourself, I'm a child of the King. If you do not cooperate with the Holy Spirit and His sanctifying work in your life, you will continue to be plagued by inferiority judgments and feel miserable about yourself. How many times have we preached that gospel to ourselves? A whole lot, right? We've got to cooperate. We've got to, with the Holy Spirit, we've got to change some behavior. Now, we know this to be true in our life. We see it in others as well. But if you want to help yourself or someone else develop a biblically accurate self-image, consider doing this. Take a piece of paper and write on the top areas of my life in which I judge myself to be inadequate. Now, be honest with yourself in this. 
And let's say that a person comes up with the following list. No one loves me. I don't manage my time well. I'm too short. I'm lazy and undisciplined. Everyone thinks I'm dumb. I can't do anything right. I'm a slow learner. I'm a proud person. I, I, I can't provide a decent living for my family. I'm a terrible husband. Don't manage my time well. All of these things. If we did the self-evaluation assignment in an honest and thorough manner, guess what you're holding in your hand? You're holding a photograph of your self-image, right? And because self-image is a product of what? Our thoughts then we can go to work evaluating those thoughts in the light of God's Word, and we can put those evaluations in one of the three categories. Let's go through that. I'm going to give you the three categories, all right? I'm going to ask you, there's inaccurate perceptions, accurate but not sinful, accurate and sinful. I'm going to go through that list again, and I want you to tell me which category it goes in. No one loves me or cares for me. Just put first, second, or third. First. I don't manage my time well. I'm going to go with three. Time is the most precious gift God has given us, and He expects a return on His talents that He gives us, right? And if I'm not managing it well... I'm wasting all that he wants me to wants to accomplish in my life. That's a sinful behavior. I'm too short. One, I am lazy and undisciplined. Three, everyone thinks I'm dumb. I I can't do anything right. I'm a slow learner. I'm not very athletic. I'm a proud person. I can't provide a decent living for my family. I got one plucking the three string. I got another one with a two string. So where do I put it? Accurate but not sinful. What kind of home did Jesus grow up in? Did they have all the bells and whistles because Joseph could adequately provide for him? Well, they went on a seven-year vacation in, in uh, Egypt. How'd they do that? The wise men, you're right. The Bible doesn't say you have to provide an adequate. By the way, what's an adequate? Who defines that? Where am I going to look to find an adequate living for my family? I had all you guys. I'm going to pick one of you guys that I think I need to copy and say, oh, I got to do that, right? Now, if I can't provide an adequate living because I'm lazy and undisciplined, that's a different story, right? 
But just because I can't keep up with the Joneses is not a sinful thing. How about I have a quick temper? Uh, I am a terrible husband. If I'm a terrible husband, <laughs> I need to make some changes, right? Well, that could be one or three, depending on who's saying it. If I can't, you know, have a, a car for my kids when they graduate and all the rest, then terrible husband, that, that may, well, that would be my wife. Huh? Yeah, it could be one of them, but I'm thinking of this in terms of I'm not, very kind. I, I, you know, sit there and the woman's job is to wait on me and all of that stuff type of thing, you know? All right. Now, if we did this self-evaluation assignment in an honest manner, then we have something to go to work on, don't we? We can roll up our sleeves and we can start comparing these things with the scriptures and change our perception of column one, our values of column two, and our behavior in column three, but we must evaluate this truthfully. Truth is that which conforms to reality. Reality is found where? In the Word of God. Not our feelings, but in the Scriptures. Jesus said, if you abide in my Word... You are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will do what? It will set you free. The Bible also tells us that people will perish because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. Some of us are in that category. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to receive the truth. I don't like the truth because I'm still battling with God over the way He made me or something. So we need to know the truth and we need to receive the truth, right? It is only when we measure our perceptions against the reality of God's Word that we can find the truth about ourselves and be set free from our inferiority judgments. Now let's look at those three areas again. They're all filled out here. And let's just look at that first one. Is it true that no one loves or cares for me? There you go. Is God the only one? Who else might love me up there? How many angels are there? The Bible doesn't count them. It just says myriads, right? the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. If no one else on earth, then I'm still greatly beloved in heaven. You know, if I look at this also in my life, God has commanded us to love each other, hasn't He? Is it possible that you live in a place that nobody, nobody loves you? Nobody is living in obedience to God's Word and, and caring for you? No. Perhaps I've been so busy feeling sorry for myself, I haven't taken the time to see just how others love and care for me. Or I write their actions off because I don't deserve it. I'm just a piece of junk anyway, not a value to anybody. 
How about the I can't do anything right perception? Could that be true? Why do you say no? God has given all of us gifts, and He's also told us in 2 Peter 1 that God has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him, right? Everything we need. He also promises wisdom for those who lack it, James 1.5, right? And He promises the strength to carry on when, when we're feeling down in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Is it true that you have rejected all these provisions and failed in everything? Now, when we start feeling sorry for ourselves, we start slinging around 100% words. When you hear yourself thinking like that or talking like that, sit down, take a deep breath, and reevaluate. When confronted with the reality of God's Word, we have to make a choice either to accept the truth or to hold on to our false perceptions. To let go of our lies and hold on to the truth is to find freedom from sin, freedom from the low self-worth or self-image that we might have. That's not too hard. Does that make the point for you? Evaluate those things. Second category, inferiority of a judgments, accurate but not sinful. Doesn't need a change in perception, but a change of values. We're either placing greater value on something than God does, or we're not valuing highly enough what God values. So how do we deal with that? We need to reprogram our thinking, our conscience, so we can distinguish issues that are sinful from issues that are not sinful. That's how you deal with that middle category. You know, the, the prophet Isaiah had something to say to this. I think it's something we need to pay attention to. He says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. That, we need to remember that, don't you think? Because we often get those things mixed up. Most of the inferiority judgments come from doing what God tells us not to do that we talked about earlier. What was that? Comparing ourselves among ourselves, right? Because God values godly character more than outward appearance, mental or physical abilities, friends, the only comparison we can legitimately make is what? Character with the character of Christ. And God calls us to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a growing process. In regard to the third category, oops, what did I touch there? In regard to this third category, accurate self-perceptions that are sinful, let me just say two words. We don't have time to go over all of these. There is no way to address them all in just one session. So consider two points. This is often the hardest area to change for us because it calls for a change of behavior. 
And we like to be lazy people when it comes to our behavior, right? And so this, I'll, I'll tell you right now, it is the most difficult. We're going to be talking about that, how to change bad habits into good habits later on in the week. But if we don't change these things, we will never feel good about ourselves. And I'll just say this, point number two, Christians don't break habits. They simply replace them. Okay? If you spend time focusing on breaking a habit, you're going to be in the mud hole for a long time. Focus on replacing bad habits with good habits. Ephesians says, put off the old man which grows corrupt and put on the new man which is created according to God. You know, I don't get some nice new clothes on very easily if I'm still focusing on all the old junk clothes and I'm hanging in my closet, right? So it put off, put on principle. We'll talk about that a little more. I'm challenged with this statement from um, Christ Object Lessons. Remember that you will never reach a higher standard than you yourself set. If we stopped with that first sentence, we have a lot to chew on. A higher standard than who sets? Than you. Not what your parents, not what others, but than you set for yourself. Then set your mark high, and step by step, even though it may be by painful effort, by self-denial and sacrifice, ascend the whole length of the ladder of progress. Let nothing hinder you. Opposing circumstances should create what? What kind of determination? Under what circumstances? Opposing circumstances create a firm determination to overcome them. You know, Alexander the Great soldiers, they eagerly looked forward to every battle. And when they conquered the Persian Empire, they were fighting against Darius or Darius, however you want to say that. History tells us Darius had a million men in his army. You know how many Alexander had? 40,000. Now, what's the ratio? 40,000 to a million. And those soldiers of Alexander were chomping at the bit. You know why? They trusted their general, and they had never lost a single battle. Each battle just fed their enthusiasm. Bring on the next one. We can handle that. Bring on the next one. And those 40,000 men utterly routed the Persian army, and Alexander the Great became the next ruler of the world. That's what we're looking at here. Opposing circumstances should create a firm determination to overcome them because we have all the resources on our side, don't we? The breaking down of one barrier will give greater ability to what? And courage to what? To go forward. Press with determination in the right direction and circumstances will be your helpers, not your hindrances. What will be helpers? Oh, yeah, but not mine. Is there any qualifier on the word circumstances? No. So take it, meaning 100% of the circumstances will become your helpers.
Do not disappoint him who so loved you that he gave his own life to cancel your sins. He says, without me, you can do nothing. Remember this. If you've made mistakes, you certainly gain a victory. If you see these mistakes and regard them as beacons of warning. Notice, it didn't say as utter failures, right? Did you catch that? Beacons of warning. Thus you turn defeat into victory, disappointing the enemy and honoring your Redeemer. The heavenly intelligences will work with the human agent who seeks with determined faith that perfection of character which will reach out to perfection in action. To everyone engaged in this work, Christ says, I am at your right hand to help you. As the will of man cooperates with the will of God, it becomes, what's the word? What is that word? What does that word mean? Your will becomes all-powerful? I thought omnipotent was something that only applied to God. <laughs> I like your answer. Don't let me intimidate you. That's right. Do you catch that? Let this sink in. Your will becomes what? Until you sit down and say, oh, I can't do that. That's impossible. No, friends, that's not impossible. I love this quote. It goes on and says, Whatever is to be done at His command may be accomplished in His strength. All His biddings are what? I was waiting for a shout of glory or something there. Maybe it'll hit you when you read the handout later on. That's exciting. When we value what God values, we can glory in our infirmities instead of becoming bitter about them because Christ said, My grace is what? Sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in what? How many of you want to see the perfect strength of God in your life? Then stop whining about your weaknesses. That's where His strength is made perfect. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in what? My infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in what? Come on, what's the list? In infirmities, and what else? And what else? And what else? And what else? Why? For when I am weak, that's when I am strong. Friends, what we consider unnecessary hindrances, those ten unchangeables and how we've added to them, they are the very things that God allowed for what reason? To show forth the power of His life in your life all the more powerfully, right? Once we understand this, we can glory in the very things we despised. I'm going to give you an assignment. Those of you who want to come back tomorrow, here's your assignment. And don't let the assignment keep you away. I won't force this, 
But I think it would be helpful to us, it would be interesting, if you came back with one weakness that you wished you didn't have that you now see differently and can praise God for, that you haven't praised Him for before. Wouldn't that be a neat sharing time? Guess what we'd discover? We'd discover that we're all in the same boat, right? <laughs> and we all have the same captain. And we're blessed when we see things in the right way. I close with this. Say it with me. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace to me is not without effect. Here's my appeal. If you've been rebelling against God's design for your life and what He's given you, I plead with you, even if it means missing the evening meeting or missing supper or something, I plead with you to find some quiet time, just you and the Lord, and straighten it out with Him. Confess your rebellion. Confess your bitterness, your resentment. And ask Him to change your thinking so you can wrap your arms around, just like Nick did in that video, wrapped his arms around his condition and turned that into a blessing. Would you do that with the Lord tonight? It's not going to help me out. It's going to help you out. And you'll be a changed person. And how long does it take to change? As soon as we let confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to do what? Oh, no, 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 you read that wrong. Cleanse us gradually over a long period of time. Hopefully it will be done by the time I die. No? Am I reading that wrong? How many of you have read it wrong with me? <laughs> you don't have to answer. But if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all of that. Would you like to be clean from that resentment, that bitterness, those inferiority judgments, the anger at what God has allowed you to, to go through? It's yours for a moment with Him. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for your word and how it speaks to our hearts. Forgive us, Lord. It's taken some of us a long time to learn some of these things. But Father, your grace is sufficient. Your power is made perfect in our weakness and we give you permission to do whatever it takes for us to just lay it all down. The rags of our life the foot of the cross and let you make something beautiful out of it. Ah, oh, what a God you are. Thank you so much, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.